In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. Even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church, and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If the revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church." 
Or was it from you that the Word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. You know, this passage is a bit of a confusing passage. There's parts of it within it, especially toward the beginning of it, that we're not exactly sure how to take. Like, for example, if you look in verses 2 and 4, it says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And then verse 4 it says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. And then look down at verse 5, it says, Now I want you to all speak in tongues. And so it goes kind of from singular to plural, a tongue, a tongue, and then the word tongues. And the reason that I point that out is that some commentators question if there's a difference between the singular and the plural there. And the reason for that is is because when you look at Corinth, it is a very confused church, and they're having a very confusing experience. Part of what they're doing is probably legitimate. There are probably some spiritual gifts there, it appears, that are legitimate. There must be, because the Apostle Paul said he himself spoke in tongues. But at the same time, there also appears to have been an illegitimate gift there too, or, or another comparison. And that other comparison would be a comparison more to their background or their pagan culture that was around them. We talked a little bit in, the, in recent times here about the Corinthian culture. And they would go to these different temples and they'd worship these other gods. And it was really built around these ecstatic experiences. They would have experienced also kind of a form of gibberish where they would speak in unintelligible words. And so it can be a little bit confusing when the Apostle Paul is writing to them. Is he talking to them about a legitimate gift of this use of language, this use of tongues? Or is he talking about an illegitimate gift that was something from their pagan background and their pagan culture? You see, I think the Corinthians, like they did with so many other things that we've seen in the book coming up to this point, they were having a hard time shaking their culture that they grew up in. And so some of the things were kind of being brought over into their new experience in Christ. And so when you look at the New Testament and the use of tongues, what we understand of it, there's not a lot of places that address it because as we looked at last week, it was a a gift that was designed to fade out. So it's, it's not even in existence today, I don't believe. And so it was made to be here for a little while and fade out. And it accomplished its purpose. Well, John MacArthur compared it to signs for L.A. He lives out in California. And he said, you know, when you're 300 miles away, you might see a sign that says 300 miles to L.A. And then 200 miles to L.A. When you get to L.A., there's no more signs on this how far to get to L.A. Why? Because the purpose has been used up. And that's kind of what tongues and some of these other gifts, even the gifts of healing and these things, not that God doesn't heal today, He just doesn't do healers today. Uh, Some of these gifts were sign gifts showing us what was happening through Christ and the apostles and they would go away, they'd fade away. And so some of it to an extent is a moot point for us today. But as we look back and try to get an understanding of the instruction that the Apostle Paul was given to this church, I think that in part of this, he may be referring not to a legitimate use of a gift, but to an illegitimate practice 
that was not to be brought into their experience in worship here. But at the same time, he's not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? He's not going to say, well, some people are misusing this gift. Some people are misunderstanding this gift. And you know what? We just spent a whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 focusing on love. How it's really not about all the gifts. It's about loving one another. And so maybe we should just scrap the gifts all together and move on. He doesn't do that either. There's a legitimate use and a legitimate purpose for those spiritual gifts. And so the Apostle Paul, he wants to correct this weird thing that's going on with it, but he doesn't want to get rid of what's good in it either. He's pointing us to that proper place for these gifts to be used. Now, some have thought, well, where it's using the word in a singular form, it's probably referring to that pagan use of that pursuing those ecstatic languages. Where it's used in a plural, it's probably used of a legitimate gift of tongues that was present in the Corinthian church at the time. So then what that does is it kind of changes how we understand the first part of this passage. Because he talks about when you're speaking in a tongue, you're not speaking to man, but you're speaking to God. But in the, in the Greek language, the word God doesn't have a definite article in front of it, and so um, it's possible that it doesn't shouldn't be interpreted God, but it should be interpreted a God or the God's. So in other words, he might not be referring to the Corinthians' current worship of the true God. He might be referring to their connection to their past paganism. That being the case, then the Spirit that he's referring to may not be referring to the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit that was within them. In other words, the point may be that he's not referring to the Holy Spirit's work with inside of them to speak to God, the Father, in uh, some unknown language. But he might actually be saying these people in their spirit are doing just like they did back in the pagan temples and speaking to gods, but not appropriately so. One would describe something that's very legitimate. The other one, uh, not, not legitimate at all. And so Corinthians here in their dealing with tongues is a very difficult passage. What exactly is he saying here? Because I think as it goes down through the passage, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, there's some things that are illegitimate about what's happening here and they need to be set aside. But there were some still use of tongues at that time. Remember, this is one of his early letters. You won't find this in any other letters. In this earlier letter of his, where they are still experiencing that gift, he says there is a proper usage of this gift. And so that needs to be maintained at that time. So as we consider that here this morning, we're going to look at that, the proper place for these gifts. And the Apostle Paul is going to lead them through just a progressive process in their worship services, how they should be participating with one another. Where did this all begin? It all began like at the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, as they spoke, something miraculous happened. And it's actually, I think, a little bit difficult to understand exactly what that miracle entailed as well. But what happened was, for this holiday that they're celebrating, you have people from all over the world. Well, as you have different people gathered there, the apostles start to preach the gospel, and all of a sudden the crowd notices, what is going on here? This is weird. Because they're recognizing that the apostles are preaching, and they are all hearing it in their own language. And so, what exactly happened? I'm not sure. Either the apostles took turns teaching... And as they did, each one maybe spoke in a different language, which was a language they didn't know, but they preached the Gospel in a different language. And then these people, when it was their language, they understood it in their language. That would have got their attention. 
Or was it a thing that just as any time that the apostles were speaking right there, everybody heard it consecutively in their own language? I don't really understand or know how, how exactly that worked. But you know what? It was done. It was, done. it was decent. It was in order. It wasn't confusing. They were speaking a language. Maybe one they did know or didn't know. And these people were hearing it in a language. In other words, it had meaning. And you know what? That's what our communication with God always has meaning. You realize all the places that we have recorded where Jesus talked to the Heavenly Father, there's no use of different languages or some heavenly language or anything like that. Jesus just talked to the Father in plain language. And when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, He didn't teach them how to go into a different language or anything like that. He says, look, these are the things that you ask for. These are the things I want you praying about. The Apostle Paul, it's kind of interesting because he says that he spoke in tongues. But you know what? We don't have one recorded place where it actually shows him doing it. Why? Because it's a very limited value. And we'll get into that in, uh, in just a little bit. But the, the Apostle's looking at this and he says, look, there's a lot of confusion going on in the Corinthian church. And I think that's why when we approach it, we're trying to figure out what exactly is he talking about here. It's kind of confusing. Well, in putting these gifts in their proper place and their proper function, we're going to look at about three different things. The first thing that we're going to recognize is that he lists out the purpose of the gifts. What is the purpose? What are we trying to accomplish here? He repeatedly points that out. In verse 3, he says, on, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The last part of verse 4 says, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. If we skip down to verse 5, it says the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. In verse 6, he asks the question, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? And then when we get to verse 12, he says, Strive to excel in building up the church. In verse 17, For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. And so he points out the fact that, look, they could be being built up if you're using words everybody understands. If you're not using words everybody understands, then nothing. You might be praising. You might be offering thanksgiving, but nobody else can say amen. Nobody really gets it. And then in verse 26, he makes this general statement. He says, let all things be done for building up. And then in verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. You see, the whole point of God giving spiritual gifts to the church is that we use them for one another. The gifts that God gifts me with is for being edifying to you, building you up, strengthening your faith. It's to build up the church, to strengthen the believers. And so he's saying, look, you need to, you need to focus on what the purpose is. What is the purpose? The purpose is building up, strengthening, encouraging. That's the point. You see, what the Corinthians were caught up in was exalting themselves. Because the use of these ecstatic languages and stuff like that, it looks like quite an experience. When you see somebody going on like that, boy, the Holy Spirit just came in and took over that guy. And he's just, man, what? he must be one spiritual guy. That's exactly what the Corinthians were pursuing. And we've seen that in the letter in other places up till now. It's, it's about show. They took even the spiritual gifts and they made them to be self Exalting. In fact, that's why he says in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Or the one who prophesies builds up the church. You see, the Corinthians were fine with building up themselves. 
They were focused on self-fulfillment, self-exaltation. They were self-centered. And the Apostle Paul says you're missing the whole point of the gifts. Your point of your gift is you take it and you serve. They were taking their gift and making it make something where they would lead or something where they would be looked up to. And the Apostle Paul says your gift is not about standing out about you personally. It's about serving somebody else. It's about building up somebody else. And you know what? When you got a group of people that is so focused on building up each other, that is a group that can see some amazing growth. That is a group that will learn how to love one another deeply. And so the main purpose that it points out throughout these spiritual gifts is to do good to others, to build them up. But then there's a second one, and he just alludes to it kind of toward the end of the passage in kind of comparing their actions and behaviors to that of the character of God. And so I would put down the glory of God. The glory of God is another proper use of these spiritual gifts. And the reason I would do that is that, one, everything is meant to bring honor and glory to God. The Bible says whether you therefore you eat or drink even, do all to the glory of God. But specifically within this passage, we see it highlighted a little bit because it talks about the nature of God. Verse 33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. What the Corinthians were doing was not consistent with the nature and the character of God. Because the Corinthians, apparently, as we read these three chapters together, the Corinthians, as they came together and gathered together for public worship, in other words, not just private devotion, but public worship, they're gathered together before God, and what are they doing? Well, everybody's getting their prophecy, and everybody's getting their tongue, and and they're all talking over the top of each other, and it's super confusing. The Apostle Paul, partway through this passage, says, if a visitor comes in, they're going to think, you have lost your mind. And they might be right. It's just embarrassing. But here's the thing. It's so far out of being consistent with who God is. So God is not a God of confusion. It says here He's a God of peace. Does this service look peaceful, the Apostle Paul is saying? God is not confusing. God is peace. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, look, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You know, I remember talking to a charismatic individual one time and it was actually um, before I knew very much about it. And I was asking him uh, that spoken tongues and all that kind of stuff. And I was kind of curious. To be honest, I thought it seemed kind of cool. I was a new Christian and uh, new to the spiritual things. And, and I remember thinking, wow, the Holy Spirit just like take control of you. That would be amazing. I remember one time even being bowed before God and saying, God, I'm yours. Just whatever you want to do, I'll take control of my mouth. I was kind of baiting him to make me speak in tongues. I kind of wanted to see what it was like even. And later I asked my pastor about it and he explained to me that being full of the Holy Spirit isn't really about how much of the Spirit you have. It's more about how much of you He has. And the spiritual transformation will take place in the transformation of your life, making you more in the image of Christ than it will about any ecstatic language. And so I got a better understanding and began to grow deeper. But I remember talking to this individual one time and I said, what is it like? And they said, the Holy Spirit just takes over. And later I read in my Bible, this passage, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't come in and take over. The Holy Spirit isn't taking control of your mouth. In fact, the Apostle Paul is going to tell him later, look, if you're going to stand there and speak, first of all, don't speak at all in a tongue if you're not going to have somebody interpret it, which means you have to control that. You can control that. And he says, you know what, even if there is somebody to interpret, only do two or three in a service. In other words, control that. He says, you see, that's who God is. God's not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. And so the point for us at this point is that 
our worship needs to mirror the nature of God. And so if God is not confusing, then we should not be confusing. If God is is peace, then we should be peaceful. The Corinthian worship services had become anything but. Well, not only is there a purpose behind these gifts, but then he goes right from there and it just kind of makes logical sense. There's a practicality to these gifts. In other words, there's an innate practicalness. If the purpose of the gift is about benefiting other people, then you just got to ask the question, well, was it a benefit or, or not? Did it help? Or did it not help? And that's really what the Apostle does over this next large section of chapter 14. Is he just says, is tongues all that helpful? Who's it helping? How is it helping? And he acknowledges that in within the gift of tongues that there is some benefit to the individual before God. But he says, you know what, compared to prophecy, prophecy, he says, now you're communicating to people. You're communicating the nature of God, the will of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now there's content. Now there's benefit. Now there's learning. Now there's, now there's growth. The Apostle Paul says, look, if somebody stands up and says something in a language nobody understands, what did it accomplish? In fact, he says, you know what, if, if you speak a language and I don't understand the language, then you're like a foreigner to me. I'm like a foreigner to you. In fact, the word that he uses there in the language is the word barbarian. And you know how we got the word barbarian? It's a onomatopoeia. You get a word from the sound. Barbarian came from this. You know what, I can't understand you. It's like bar, 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 bar. And we got the word barbarian from that. That's the idea. It's kind of like like in our society. What, we don't we don't say that. Do we? Well, what do we say? We say it's like blah 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 blah. Lisa and I and Tom and PJ were talking one time, and Tom and I were talking about some job we did at work or something like that. And PJ just looks at us and she says, "You know what? Listening to you guys talk about your work is like blah 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 hammer." Right? Everything has its own language. It's like yeah, blah 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 screw gun. Because they're just not familiar with the terms. And Tom and I acknowledged that we were like blah, 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 craft room or stamping. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if, if, if you're speaking a language and I don't understand the language, then blah, 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 blah. I experienced this in Ukraine when I was there. Usually when I went anywhere, I went with my interpreter. So he help you buy things in stores and that kind of stuff and order things at restaurants and everything. So we usually we went to everywhere as a group. But I had some time one day and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to go. I'm going to hit the streets of Kremenchuk, go down, walk along the Dnieper River and just just enjoy the sights. But I get down along the Dnieper River and there's a guy fishing. And so I thought, I'm going to go down and see how this guy's fishing. And I walked down there and it was very different. He had a whole bucket of this goop. And on his fishing line that he reeled in, there's a little cage like hanging on the side of his line at one point. And he would take and open that cage and fill it with some of this junk and close it up and then cast it out there. And I was super curious about that was. I didn't, I didn't know if it was like chumming. I remember when I was a kid fishing in eastern Washington for trout, some people would chum. They'd kind of throw fish food over the edge of the boat that they had in this bucket to get fish into the area, and then they'll bite your line, hopefully. So I thought, maybe it's like that. I was super curious. And I thought, well, you know, here's two guys. Both like to fish. little common ground. I ought to be able to get something out of this guy. <laughs> not even. <laughs> I could Not one word. I started to try to... What do you do? <laughs> I didn't even know how to gesture. I, I'm, I'm curious about that thing. I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm pointing down at the bucket. He's just looking at me. I, I said a couple words. If nothing else, he'll know I don't speak his language. He'll get on the same page and try to use sign to show me, tell me what he's doing, something. You know what? He just looked at me like, you crazy American. <laughs> and I turned around and walked away. <laughs> I don't to... We're foreigners. I'm a barbarian. 
to Him. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says, look, there's just a practicality to it. If we can't understand what you're saying, there's really not a lot of value in you saying it. It just doesn't do much. Now, if somebody interprets, now there's meaning. He says every language in the world has meaning behind it. It's not just the gibberish spoken at the pagan temples. Every language has meaning. We've got to have meaning to have value. He goes on and he, he makes a comparison. He says, look, I would rather speak five words. Just give me five words in a service in a tongue that everybody understands than 10,000 in a tongue that nobody understands. Five words. Now, he's not giving a mathematical equation there so much. He's saying, in fact, it's interesting. 10,000 in the Greek language back at that time, it was the highest number that had a word associated with it. So it's kind of like, you know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to trump whoever was talking about something that happened a million times or something, you went to the zillion. Zillion was the one nobody could beat. That was, the, that was the biggest number we knew of at the time, a zillion. And I remember we had kids, and our kids, when they got to be about that same age, they had a Googleplex. I was like, what? What is a Googleplex? But now I knew how to trump a zillion. So, progress. <laughs> and then, of course, you get to that point where you got the one guy that just throws in an infinity, right? But that's the point. You see, 10,000 was, that was the Greek equivalent of the Googleplex or the zillion in my day. Right? And he's saying, look, I would rather, you think of the highest number, I would rather five words in a known language than really some unlimited number of words in one that nobody understands anyway. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, that's the practicality of it. And so he looks at the gifts. First of all, there's just a, there's a purpose for these gifts, the good of people, the glory of God. Let's make sure we're fulfilling those, those purposes. There's just a practicality to it. It's only so good to people if they can understand what it's, what's being said. And then lastly, he goes into kind of policing it, right? He's going to, going to make some rules. He's going to give them some rules to go by for policing this gift. To get a handle on that service that they were experiencing from week to week, it just needed some silence. It had plenty of activity, plenty of things going on. The Apostle Paul says, let's, let's cut this down. Some people are going to come in and they're going to have a song. A psalm, which is a song, and that's fine. He says some people are going to come in and want to speak in tongues. Well, if you don't have uh, somebody there that can, can interpret the language that you're speaking into. And you know, that's an important thing. I remember hearing years ago, um, I don't remember who it was now, but they were talking about a, they were in a church service and in a church service that did get into doing tongues and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think because of the time we're in today, I think illegitimately so. But they said somebody wanted to kind of run a little test. And so what they did is they went into the service. And at some point in the service, they stood up. And they spoke. And then somebody else stood up from over here and they gave an interpretation. But the problem is, the person that stood up and spoke knew what they were saying because they knew the language. They just stood up. And if I remember right, I think they stood up and they did the Lord's Prayer in Greek or something like that. And then this person stands up over here and gives the interpretation of what was said here and it was some prediction of something else happening and and had absolutely zero to do with what was actually spoken in the service. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, if you're, if you're going to have uh, somebody speaking in tongues, first of all, let's limit it. Two, three at the most. That's all that's going to happen. And that can only happen if there's an interpreter. And then he says, prophesying. In other words, not just the main teaching of the Scripture 
in that in that service, but other people that want to bring out personal prophecies or whatever. He says, you know what? Those are the same thing. We're going to limit that. We're going to limit that to three. You got another one. You evaluate theirs. You think of what you can learn from theirs. And so what he does is he just polices the use of these gifts. He says, look, we're going to put some restrictions. We're going to put some limits on these things. It's not just the Holy Spirit coming in and taking over. Because if you think we're going to blame all this confusion in these church services on the Holy Spirit, you got another thing coming. You guys are getting carried away and you're getting where you're contrary to the nature of God. We need to reintroduce some uh, stability and some peace. We need to get rid of some confusion. Well, it's kind of the same in our day. In our day, what exactly is tongues? I think it's a better question. What was tongues? And I would even uh, agree with Chrysostom, one of the early church leaders, that even by his day, he said it would be very difficult to even define accurately what all it entailed or what it was, given the confusion around the subject. And I think that was difficult. But it was given for a sign to Israel, and it was of a temporary, meant to be of temporary duration. And so the Apostle Paul deals with it. It shows a proper place for those gifts, but those gifts are experienced in that way. That we need to look. What, what is the purpose? The purpose stands. We still have the same purpose. We're here to build one another up, to bring encouragement, strength to one another in our faith. So there's some practicality that comes into that. Are the things that we're doing, are they encouraging? Are they building people up? Are they helping people grow? Because if not, then we need to do the same thing the Apostle Paul did. We need to say, we need to get rid of this, or we need to add that, to make sure that those things are happening.